Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Okay, so we're joined here today by two great guests, two reoccurring guests. I'm joined by Ryan Crodel and Brett Bivens. So Ryan, why don't you kick us off, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I'm really looking forward to the, to the conversation. This should be fun. Um, I'm Ryan Crodel. I head up marketing at a company called Valencell. We make the biometric sensor technology that goes into wearable devices of all kinds. So everything from smartwatches to fitness bands to audio earbuds and construction hard hats and patches and you name it, uh, a variety of different form factors. We make that sensor technology, not the devices themselves. You can kind of think of us as the the Intel inside for uh, biometric uh, biometrics in wearable devices. And we're, we're sitting in a unique position in the market right now as this convergence is going on between consumer wearable devices and uh, health and medical devices. So uh, looking forward to diving into that uh, as we go along here. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for joining, Ryan. Uh, Brett, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Uh, so thanks again for, yeah, thanks again for having me, for having me back. It's uh, exciting to get a chance to talk again. So uh, yeah, my name's Brett. I am a venture investor at a firm called TechNexus. Um, at TechNexus, we really sort of sit at the intersection of the early stage world and the corporate world. So um, we go into these vertical markets. You know, one area that we have a lot of uh, experience and expertise in is audio. Uh, another that we do a lot uh, in is health and wellness and fitness. Um, but we work across, you know, half dozen different sort of market verticals and categories. We build vertical focused funds in those areas. And then we go to market and invest in early stage companies that we think are going to define those, uh, those new market spaces, those emerging categories. And uh, we work really hard and with our network to help plug those early stage companies that we're investing in, in with our corporate network. So it's kind of a, a nice uh, sort of multifaceted point of view that we have across what's happening and what's emerging versus what's uh, kind of incumbent in all of these different, uh, different areas. Awesome. Well, thank you too very much for joining me today. Uh, for the listeners who have been, you know, listening to some of the different episodes that I've done, you probably recognize Ryan from the ones that I've done around, um, you know, like the preventative health panel, uh, and also the one around wearables serving as early detection devices for pandemics. Um, that was a really good conversation. There's been a lot of really interesting follow-up from there. And then with Brett, I've had him on before to talk about companies like Spotify. Um, he's very, very knowledgeable and a really good Substack writer uh, in the audio space, um, you know, highlighting sort of the evolution of some of these companies. And he also has a lot of really good insight into the health space. So I figured this would be a good sort of brain tree here um, to talk about today's topic, which is going to be um, Apple Health and the evolution of it. And ultimately, this trend toward the quantified self, um, this idea where, you know, we're moving into an era where we have access to information about our bodies in ways that we've never really had before. I've mentioned it before with Ryan in past podcasts where 
you know, what's so different today with like an Apple Watch relative to before wearables really graduated into this new era was that, you know, if you wanted to monitor, say, your blood pressure or even your heart rate, um, chances are you would probably log that two to three times a year when you would go and you would see your physician. Now with a wearable device, you can be logging, you can be creating a longitudinal data set, um, you know, on the minute every single hour that you're wearing one of these different devices. And I think that that's the beginning of this new trend that we're going to see where we have like the wearables playing this role of the data loggers, and then you combine that with some of these new, interesting, really health-oriented companies like a Peloton, um, like the Mirror that was just bought by Lululemon. Um, you know, today's conversation is going to really explore this idea of where does this data go? Is there going to be sort of a central repository, and will Apple play that role? And what's Apple's role? You know. To frame this conversation, um, some good resources that I think the listeners can go, and I'll include these in the show notes. Uh, first, I would start with Brett's Metaverse of Health post he wrote, um, which was really, really good, highlighting a lot of the different uh, trends that are happening in the health space right now uh, from the technology side. Um, I'd also recommend Cameron Porter's uh, podcast episode that he did with Anthony Pompliano on the pop. Pomp podcast. That was a really, really informative one. And Nathan Bashaw's um, Substack piece, Health OS. And I wanted to kick this conversation off um, by framing where I think Nathan did a really good job in his piece. Um, he was pulling out a quote from an interview that Tim Cook had where he was asked about, um, you know, like, where do, do you see long-term um, Apple's, you know, biggest growth area being. And Tim answered it really interestingly. He said, if you zoom out into the future and you look back and ask the question, what was Apple's greatest contribution to mankind? It will be about health. So I think this is sort of like a, like a, a startling comment from a company that's obviously been you know, at the forefront of like mobile communication, innovation, and all this, that they're saying that their greatest contribution is going to be health. And you add that to the fact that they refer to the Apple Watch, for example, as a guardian of health, you know, so this idea that like clearly health is very top of mind for them. I think that it's been even more elevated in light of the pandemic, knowing that this idea of having a good understanding of what's going on with your body might actually be able to help you to be directionally aware of maybe there's something wrong, that there's something that you need to go follow up with and check out or maybe self quarantine yourself. Um, so uh, this is a long winded way of saying that I wanted to have a conversation today with these two to really flesh out this idea of where is Apple going with Apple health? Because clearly it seems to be an area that there's a ton of growth opportunity. And I think there's just a lot of different directions that it can go. So Ryan, let's kick things off with you. Um, you know, in iOS 14, there were some pretty interesting uh, updates as it relates to uh, Apple Health. So there's going to be, you know, new options to do symptom tracking. There's some updates to the ECG monitoring, new mobility data types. And then also with uh, there's sleep tracking, there's a hand washing feature now, which I think might have implications of other types of features that can be done. And then also there are um, with the AirPods Pro, they're opening up APIs into the sensors that are embedded in there, like the accelerometer and the gyroscopes. So what really stood out to you from 
the iOS 14 updates and how does that impact your view on where this space is ultimately trending toward? Yeah, so um, a lot of interesting announcements there, and I think uh, much of it is um, confirmation of uh, Apple's direction, if you look over the past few years, of becoming this repository uh, for uh, health and wellness data. So going back to the ability to, to pull in electronic health records, obviously pulling in data from the Apple Watch, but you can, uh, you can connect uh, really any, um, any uh, mobile health device into uh, an iPhone over Bluetooth and feed that data into Apple Health. And so this, uh, a lot of what they're doing um, is, uh, is just confirming or, or uh, furthering that path toward becoming that, uh, that repository. A couple of things stood out to me, though, that I, I thought were particularly interesting. One is, uh, especially these latest announcements are um, more targeted towards aging populations. So uh, obviously their user base is, is primarily, uh, primarily skews younger, but is getting, uh, is getting older uh, pretty quickly. And so you look at the, the hearing health functionality they're adding, the mobility metrics, these are all things that are um, uh, signs of aging and, and um, tests for uh, how well someone is uh, is living their life and their their fitness beyond trying to maximize athletic performance, um, which is not all that relevant in in that population. So, um, so those things are are interesting to me, and I think you'll you'll see them continuing to add those capabilities. But it uh, ultimately leads towards um, making that repository or that collection of data more valuable not just to the individual who's opening up access or, or, or uh, collecting all of that data with Apple, but also to the healthcare providers and the ecosystem of uh, healthcare delivery that can use that data in a way that uh, provides a much broader picture and, and much more insightful picture of an individual's overall health and wellness. Um, there were a few things there that, um, that I thought were interesting in terms of what they chose not to do. So um, sleep, as an example, was, was one where um, if you look at the capabilities, they, they specifically held back from providing deeper sleep metrics like um, uh, sleep staging and sleep quality and those kinds of things and, and really focused on the timing and duration of sleep. And so um, that's interesting because there's obviously a, 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 a the, the capabilities in the Apple Watch are there to provide uh, much uh, provide some of those deeper insights. Um, but it uh, there's also an ecosystem of partners that, like the Aura Ring and Whoop and others that are, uh, are a lot more focused on sleep and recovery. So you saw them take some larger steps in the hearing augmentation space, but but also holding back in some other areas. And uh, so those are just a few of the things that jumped out at me. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that uh, that's a really interesting point too about holding back because Brett, I'm going to kick it over to you now. Um, feel free to weigh in on any of that in any way that you like. But one thing I do want you to address is this idea that maybe Apple's approach here is sort of like 
giving you a surface level experience. And if you like this experience, you can sort of go deeper into it with these third party providers. And that to me is a really interesting approach because if that's the tack that they're going to take here where they are more or less than the repository and they want to enable this third party of different devices and be friendly to all these other companies, then I think it really plays into this idea that maybe Apple's role is to be just that central hub that you can then, you know, access your electronic health records all the way to all of these different third party wearable devices and, and the data associated with it. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good sort of way to look at it and to think of it is they they do sort of, you know, despite the fact that they have a very central role in this ecosystem already, they have they really own the consumer demand. They are uh, instrumental and, and really just so important for the developers. They do have to sort of toe the line uh, between, you know, how do you enable all of these other uh, third parties to have success and continue to build on your platform and to grow while also capturing, you know, as, as much value as, as you can up to up to a certain point. Um, and I think that was, you know, one of the things that really came through. I think sleep was, was certainly one of those things where it looks like they're not ready to go entirely down that path yet and try to build the best sleep tracking system for uh, for users. Um, you know, I think the, the fact that they talked about so many times in the different videos and the different conversations, just how much of the data coming through the Apple ecosystem is readable and writable to to other uh, to other third-party developers out there. I think is really important, and so it'll be really interesting to see sort of over time how they how they toe that line, how they think about you know not only um, not only being an enabler for those third-party services and those application developers, but for sort of this broader ecosystem that exists around health. Ryan talked about it a little bit with like the the medical professionals. Um, but it, it starts to, you know, over time get into all different parts of, uh, you know, the, the service providers that an Apple user might go to, whether it's a fitness instructor or a, you know, a, an executive coach or, you know, any of these, uh, some kind of counselor, like all of these different uh, sort of professional advisory kind of people that you're going to go to over time. Um, Apple can be an enabler of that ecosystem as well. So it will be really interesting to see. And they, I mean, they certainly have a ton of experience doing that right with with the app store as it exists today um some would say they're not really playing fair and not playing in the right way there so we'll sort of see how it develops with the health ecosystem but um but they certainly have have the experience and i think that'll just be something that they constantly have to uh, keep mind of and, and keep an eye on as they as they move forward yeah and one thing on on top of that brett that i think is interesting to see how it will play out is they've obviously taken a really strong stance on privacy and security and and that's enabled them to to build out trust particularly in the in um the the medical world but as they as the as this continues to grow and they look at potentially monetizing this capability uh, how does that play out or is this primarily just a way to initially uh, keep people in the Apple ecosystem uh, or do they try to try to monetize that that data or that capability in any way it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out yeah and it's really like it seems like you know there's so many different ways that that all of this is is kind of converging there's like the convergence that you have with what you might think of traditionally as like just the you know, sort of very consumer focused wellness and health and fitness applications and the convergence of the actual healthcare system and the, you know, electronic health records and, and all of that, there's kind of that convergence happening. 
there's also sort of the identity convergence happening with with Apple as well with you know them pushing really really fast after this health side of things but also pushing really really hard on sort of payments and financial services and starting to kind of bring all these different parts of people's lives together in uh, in one place um, so again I think all of all of this is always a sort of wait and see sort of see where they're going they've got a lot of you know, competition, co-opetition, and all these different areas that they're that they're sort of going after. But it is uh, it is pretty incredible. And I think when you think about the incentives that uh, you know that they sort of have in this space, they've they've always been more privacy focused, more security focused, which bodes very very well for them in uh, in this category and builds that consumer trust. And so this is a you know a path to kind of accelerate all of that. Yeah, and I think that the um, you know that's a it's a really interesting question that Ryan posed, which is like, what's the incentive here? Um, and I think you could probably take two sides of it. Maybe there is going to be some sort of data play um, where they try to monetize that, but it also could just be the lifetime value of, you know, the Apple customer and just that lock-in that is associated with, like if you have your, all of your health records and all of this stuff, it's, and you, you add that to, everything that you just alluded to there, Brett, with like the services piece where they just keep kind of making it stickier and stickier and harder and harder to unwind yourself from the Apple ecosystem. And I just think that, you know, these are, it's gone from just being iMessage to now it's like, how do you move away from, you know, uh, Apple Health, if it, if it is this repository of all this information that, you know, th that you've been populating and you've got it all set up and everything's feeding properly into there, um, that alone might be worth it, you know, just to continue to, the switching cost then is ridiculously high. And, and, and do people, people already don't like to really move. People kind of become apathetic at, over time and, and comfortable with what they have. And so I just look at this as like, this is the ultimate sort of switching cost piece. It just makes it that much harder to move away from. No, definitely. And I think there's, it is almost like this, this world that, that Apple is creating for you. And this is, I think you sort of mentioned the word metaverse at the outset. And um, it was a, a piece that I wrote, but it was really based on, I mean, a lot of other stuff that's been written, but um, Matthew Ball, who's this analyst, kind of tech analyst, media analyst, had this comment in one of the things that he wrote about the metaverse where he sort of said that it's becoming this macro goal for many of the world's tech giants and the metaverse is essentially sort of this like um successor to the internet meaning you know it becomes this kind of immersive world that we that we live in that spans sort of you know digital world physical world um all, all these different things and all of the big companies are going at it in different directions and a lot of people sort of associate it typically with gaming, but if you think about sort of Apple's approach here, and, and Dave, you mentioned it with sort of this idea of like, how do we just drive long-term lock-in, long-term LTV, long-term engagement for for our users? It's kind of this. It's almost building this this world that you that you live in, where your you know all of your sort of health and your financial services and you know all of these major components of your life are sort of locked into this into this one ecosystem. Um, and I think that's that's exactly what they're doing. And all the big companies are going at it from different directions. But, um, you know, Apple's certainly got as, as good of a shot as any of them to to really uh, build that lock in and, and really not let people leave that ecosystem over time. For sure. Go ahead. Uh, and to that end, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, not just at an individual level, because I think it's pretty clearly, at least in the short term, targeted toward the strategy is targeted towards 
uh, locking people in um, or, or making it harder to leave, uh, however you want to put that. Uh, but it, it also, I think, has huge ramifications for the broader ecosystem and the partners involved. And do you, uh, from the developer mm -hmm. ecosystem, do you develop in the Apple ecosystem or the Google ecosystem? Or you're, it, these these things are going to um, start getting more and more siloed, and um, and that creates tension and and um, uh, creates market dynamics that uh, I think will will continue to to grow as these uh, the different ecosystems start to um, add more capabilities and try to try to pull people in and lock people in um, to the extent possible. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I love the Matthew Ball reference too. He is one of my favorite writers. He's like on a whole different level. Um, but, you know, I think that this idea, like in my mind where I think this gets really interesting and Brett, I'm really curious to get your take here is the, these new companies that are like the Pelotons of the world, the, the mirror, um, the way I'm envisioning this is, and I would be really curious to get your thoughts on like what, what, possibilities start to unlock when you have these two things start to really integrate into each other. Like I know top of mind what come, you know, what I think of is, well, if I'm, you know, let's say I'm staying at like a Marriott or something like that and there's a Peloton there and I can go, I'm a Peloton member. I can just go link that and I'm, you know, I go and I do a class and it all feeds into my Apple data. So then throughout the course of the day, I'm logging even more data with my watch. And so then it goes back to this quantified self idea where it's like, I have just logged through a couple different ways my activity for the day. And so I can get a really good, accurate representation of all the things that I did. And that's just fitness. I mean, you can apply this to your eating habits, mental health, sleep, like there's a whole wide variety of different ways that you can do this. But I'm curious, like, have you given it much thought, Brett, about what sort of unlocks when you do have like a, you know, really, really tight integration? Um, are there social things that you can do with Peloton that like would get unlocked if there was further integration with Apple, that kind of thing? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and I think the the big question around it is always like how how uh, I mean how far do these companies want to let Apple get their hooks into them? Um, you know, I think and in in some cases it's probably unavoidable, but you're seeing sort of differing differing degrees of of integration with Apple. So I mean, if we look at some of the companies that you talked about there, um, you've got to take a company like Whoop who hasn't even hasn't gone, they've gone fully sort of closed approach, trying to sort of not integrate with Apple Health, build the community themselves, build the all the sort of core technology from the hardware to the software themselves. And, that, and that's certainly one approach. Um, then you have something like an Aura Ring, which is, you know, straddling the line a little bit. Um, and yeah, I think it's a, it's a really great question for a, a company like Peloton, who you know, Apple is this high-end hardware company. Who knows, would, would they buy Peloton? It seems kind of unlikely just because Apple is the type of company that wants to build great hardware themselves. It might be a little tough to see them actually going that direction. Um, so in, in that case is, you know, Peloton by, by opening, opening up to Apple, by using Apple Health to, like you said, maybe drive some, some interesting new data points that feed into competition in the product or feed into different community elements uh, in, in the product, uh, both during a ride and after a ride in, in an ongoing basis. Like, is that something that they're going to 
go for and, and open up to. And I think a company like Peloton is probably less likely to sort of go that route than a company that doesn't sort of own community and have a, a strong community itself. Um, you know, I'm just kind of speculating. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's just a, you know, no, no conclusion drawn there or anything, but a, a few of the considerations that I think a couple of the companies in the space are sort of making. And then there's others that, you know, like, um, are, are really committed to sort of, I would say, building on top of the, the Apple platform and the Apple ecosystem, um, a company like FutureFit, which is sort of saying, okay, we um, will sort of integrate essentially with any of the different sort of personal quantified self metric tracking systems you, you use. They, they give you an Apple Watch when you sign up, and then they pair you with uh, coaching and advice around health, uh, around fitness, around nutrition. Uh, they pair you with content. They sort of bring all these things together and build a little bit on top of the Apple platform. And they're saying, okay, we, we believe there's a ton of value in this data and all the stuff you can pull from there. Um, but we are going to differentiate on something we think Apple would never do, which is sort of bring a, a human element to it and bring a, a person into the mix. Um, and so that's pretty interesting as well to kind of see how, to see how that's playing out. And I think that's a really, a really smart strategy is, is, you know, instead of trying to compete directly with Apple, like a, like a whoop is kind of doing, although they're certainly targeting a different category of users, sort of the high end athlete versus maybe the, you know, mass market, or as Ryan mentioned earlier, Apple going after older consumers, that kind of thing. You know, that's a tough slog and, and who your, your market cap might be kind of capped out at that point because of the success Apple has with the mass market. But uh, I like the approach uh, to, to kind of wrap up this, this monologue. I, I like the approach of, um, leveraging as much as you can of Apple and then trying to build something that's completely different that they would never do on top of it. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really interesting point. Something you touched on there, Brett, and also in, uh, in your metaverse piece, which I think is, is going to be fascinating to see how this plays out. We talk about the ecosystem and, and most people think about the, the technical ecosystem, but how this, how the technology ecosystems get, layered into the physical world, the physical ecosystems of, you're seeing a lot of um, telehealth companies, as an example, uh, connecting people with, uh, with providers directly for either specific disease states or specific conditions, or more generally, whether it's a fitness coach or a wellness coach, and how the, the interplay between those technical ecosystems and the physical ecosystems I think will also be uh, be really interesting to see how that plays out and yeah there, there's clearly a, I think a, a, an area where um, Apple's just not going to go in terms of the the um, service delivery and the the um, uh, personnel resource intensive uh, delivery of services and capabilities um, I think they'll leave that to the to the, the broader ecosystem but um, uh, on the flip side, they did buy a, uh, a healthcare uh, delivery uh, clinic system. So that's, uh, they're probably experimenting with, uh, with that in certain ways as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, uh, you know, you two both said something, two different things that were really interesting to me. So I think, you know, like what Brett said, this idea where you sort of have 
Apple enable you um, and you layer on that human element, I agree with you, Brett. I think that's something that's, I don't see Apple really getting into that. I, I think they're way more interested in enabling those type of scenarios rather than do all those things themselves. Because again, going back to this idea where there's so many different facets of this, like I can't imagine Apple getting into all these different things. And, you know, like, to Ryan's point, this idea where, you know, the physical world and, and um, having, you know, like this thing manifest itself. And I think that's where Apple is so well positioned here. And I think that's why they are appealing to the broad medical uh, healthcare system is that it's a widespread mass market consumer device, um, you know, the iPhone, and then also now with all of its wearables, I could see companies, um, you know, coming in and basically acting as like the intelligence of um, that data. So, you know, you basically, you have this teleconference, you know, telehealth um, setting. And so maybe there's an option for you prior to that call to send in the, you know, your health record for the last month. And, you know, it, it, it populates it into the system and you have this really intelligent um, layer that kind of assesses like, okay, here's all of the Apple health data from the watch and maybe from AirPods or Bluetooth hearing aids, whatever it might be. I just think that's this really interesting dynamic where that's something really unique that Apple would be enabling that doesn't exist today. And I, I think that we always hear about like, you know, these big tech companies, they want a piece of that $1 trillion healthcare market. And I don't think that it's necessarily going to just be that like, Amazon or Google or Apple, they just like completely upheave the way in which we do things. I think it's going to be, they'll come in and they'll enable things that were only possible through the mass market proliferation of their consumer devices in really creative ways. And I think about this with like my industry, um, the whole reason I'm so focused on this whole topic is because I look at these Bluetooth hearing aids that are being sold today that like as Ryan can attest to, they're being outfitted with all kinds of different, you know, sensors, biometric sensors. He's educated me on why the ear is such a good place to monitor all this information. And again, going off of what Brett was saying earlier, where it's like these, you know, acting as a, having that human element to it, I could see hearing professionals using the data that's collected through these hearing aids as part of the whole assessment, because it's not necessarily just going to be the biometric data. It will be cognitive data. It will be mobility data. You know, you'll be able to get a much better sense on the patient that you're fitting. And again, it goes to this idea that that's what Apple could really do uniquely here from a medical standpoint is they can be, you know, by serving as this repository of data and being the conduit to which you connect all of this stuff, I see it as like that connective tissue is what's so desperately lacking right now because it makes the medical professional so much more informed about who they're dealing with. Yeah, that's, I mean, those are great points. Connective tissue is a really good way to put it. And I think like connecting the dots on, on long-term longitudinal was a word you said earlier, longitudinal sort of situations. Um, and even in, even sort of incidental things, the things that happen one time, the idea that you're going to have, you know, accelerometers uh, all across your body that are powered by, by Apple uh, at the watch level, at the phone level, at the, at the AirPods level. Um, if you're walking and, and sprain your ankle, there's, there's, you know, more data that's going to be generated around that, that in theory, uh, if, if somebody were out there 
crunching that in the right way could, could provide that to your medical provider to sort of give additional context for exactly what happened, why it happened, um, what, you know, what uh, other issues in your body may have, may have contributed to that. I think one of the things that they talked about with the mobility data was something around uh, understanding like gait analysis almost and how you're sort of walking. So, I mean, I think there's just, it's, uh, it's kind of mind blowing to let your mind run with, with all of these different, uh, with all of these different things. And you said earlier, just there, there's so much to do. And I think that's, that is one of the, one of the great things about this, uh, about this category, about this market, um, is, is just how much there is left to do, how much of a gap there is between what, uh, what consumers or patients have access to today, what medical providers have access to today and what could actually be done in a, you know, quote, perfect world. Um, and so it does seem, yeah, it's, it's hard to see Apple kind of moving up the stack and doing all of these different things, but you do start to get a sense that there could be some really, really interesting companies and some really, really interesting opportunities built at the data level, um, doing great stuff with the data that's out of there, in addition to sort of the application and service delivery level that we've talked about so far. Yeah, and of course, the interesting thing about being a, a the platform provider is you can watch the ecosystem develop and watch the different capabilities develop, and then they can choose to go after certain opportunities within that ecosystem, however they choose, either by acquisition or building it in their own products or whatever it might be. Yeah, I think that's a that's well said, and you know, I keep coming back to this idea that um, you know. Another reason I think Apple is so well positioned here is the data privacy, because that's going to be paramount to this whole thing is, you know, all the way from HIPAA compliance down to just user trust. And I always refer back to like, I don't know if you've seen some of the Apple commercials over the last like two years or so. Um, Every now and then I'll notice they'll have these commercials that are all centered around privacy and data security. And they'll have, they'll convert the Apple logo into like a padlock at the end. And I just think that Apple is so deliberate about what they're doing that I think their, their emphasis on privacy, I think is largely behind this idea where they know that they're going to have to get people on board with this idea of trusting. I mean, if, if we really are thinking that Apple could be a data repository for all this really sensitive information, you're going to have to have the utmost amount of trust in this. And that might be why a company like Whoop is taking this on their own is that at the end of the day, they want people to feel like, you know, this is, it's just the Whoop data. We only have access to this. They can set all of their own standards around how that data is shared and and stored. And um, I, I just, I continue to think that that, will be one of the biggest challenges that Google will run into if they try to get into this space. Um, If anybody else tries to, I think that they're going to be looking this problem in the face, which is that people need to be extremely confident and comfortable with the idea of you storing your electronic health records, all kinds of sensitive wearable information. Um, Because I know that like, we don't want to just sleepwalk into some sort of scenario where this is used in some dystopian way against us. And it's part of a surveillance state or something like that. I know that that's sort of the counter argument to a lot of this stuff. But as you're seeing, I think like what this pandemic is highlighting is that a lot of this information could be really, really useful if it was used, you know, if it's used properly and and as it evolves and it becomes more sophisticated, I think that this type of stuff can be used 
again, to in this notion where it's this quantified self and it's helping you to really get a good understanding of what's actually happening at a physiological level inside of your body, um, I think people are going to be they're going to be really enthusiastic about that idea, but they're going to be equal parts sort of like hesitant because of the notion that like this could be used in some nefarious way. So what are your guys thoughts on the whole trust and data security and data privacy element of this? Yeah, maybe just quickly, um, you know, to, to echo your point. Yeah. Apple has, has kept this front and center in the way that they operate for so long. And you, you saw it in the, I was reading through the Jeff Bezos memo that came out as part of the congressional testimony. Um, uh, I guess it was last week at this point when we're talking um, and, and his comment was, you know, Amazon is the uh, second most, I think it was respected company or liked company among consumers in the United States. And the first is Apple. And um, I think, you know, that, that goes a long way. I think the Apple approval rating from consumers um, is, is going to go very far in, uh, in sort of giving them the leeway to, to, to do a lot here to, um, to really cash in on, and, and maybe cash in is the wrong word because they have to continue making investments and building that trust and maintaining that trust, but at least uh, build that advantage based on the trust that they've developed with consumers over the years. And I think Amazon's in a really strong position to do that too. I mean, they haven't, uh, you know, maybe we don't think of Amazon as having access to as much personal data about us as someone like Apple does, um, but they certainly do and they've made big pushes into healthcare. Um, so I think the the gulf between like the trust that those two companies have with consumers and other um, companies that are sort of in that big tech category that could come after this space, and frankly, like any other you know health insurance companies or just companies that consumers have a, a lower opinion of, um, I think you know they're they're so advantaged by the customer centricity that they've that they've developed over you know 20, 30 years at this point. Um, that, you know, that they're in a really strong position. Yeah, I would certainly agree with that. I, and, and, uh, Brett, you mentioned maintaining that posture, I think is critical because as we all know, it just takes one incident to, uh, destroy that whole, um, reputation and that, that trust. And, um, and so they, they're clearly putting it at the forefront and, and backing that up with, uh, with how they're they're approaching all of this data, if you look at just um, how they're dealing with the the um, health data, as an example, with any of the electronic health record data, they don't store any of that. Uh, that stays on the individual's device itself. Uh, what's interesting, though, is as uh, we're seeing this uh, a direct impact of this it, of being able to apply data science and machine learning techniques to this biometric data in particular, but you could you can also layer in um, food diary data and environmental data, a variety of different data sources. That requires massive amounts of aggregated data collection and applying those data science techniques to that data. So there's this there's two different approaches now, and there are different um, security questions and concerns and postures associated with those those two different approaches. But it it, um, it it depends on how you want to use that data and what the where that strategy takes you of uh, applying uh, value or, or delivering value at an individual level between let's say a um, a an individual patient and a healthcare provider versus more population level insights and um, uh, advancements in 
identifying, let's say, um, virus outbreaks in, in different parts of the world or different parts of the population. So there's, uh, there's numerous layers to this, but um, also different security stances and um, security risks uh, with, with each one of those different layers. Yeah, well said. And I, I do, I like that idea of micro data, you know, for my personal level, but also macro data. I think there's a lot of really interesting opportunities that can unlock. We've talked about it before with like the Kinza thermometers and this idea that you can kind of actually get a sense of where maybe different disease outbreaks are occurring um, based on some of this different data. And, and what does that look like as that evolves too? Uh, lots and lots of different questions um, that kind of stem from all of this. But as we wrap up here, um, just go around the horn real quick and see like what, what uh, you know, as we go into this decade, I really do think this 2020 decade is going to be largely defined by some of these new ways that we think about our health and, and using the data that can be collected through all these new sources, um, getting a better representation of our quantified self. Um, how do you see this sort of taking shape over the next few years? Like what are going to be the things that you're really looking out for, whether it be from Apple, um, whether it be from a technology standpoint, new innovations that we should be on the lookout for, um, companies that are outside of the purview that we haven't even maybe discussed today that you find really interesting, any and all of the above. Just curious, like what's kind of on your two's radar um, with regard to this idea of quantified self and uh, this trend of preventative health being at, you know, large, like higher and higher in people's cognitive, you know, mind right now. Go for it, Ryan. So, um, yeah, lots to, I'll, I'll try to, lots try to, to unpack. Short. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm very passionate about the space and so excited about a lot of things, but, um, one of which I touched on just a moment ago, which is the, the continued application of, of data science and machine learning to this um, data at an individual level and also at a at a population level, I, I think we are very uh, very much at the uh, the early early stages of how that can can have um, really tremendous impacts uh, at at multiple layers, individual and and population layers. Um, the other element that I'll, uh, I'll highlight is, and, and I'm not frankly sure where this goes or how long it takes, but um, it's that last mile of um, really in, in order to um, get better adoption and faster adoption of, uh, of this wearable data and really sensor data from outside of a medical facility into a patient treatment protocol and really get um, uh, further adoption and support from the medical community. Because uh, a lot of people do take uh, direct advice from their doctor or healthcare provider on what devices they should use or what they should be doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And so uh, that involves um, a lot more uh, clinical trials and uh, proving out the efficacy of this data um, and, and these devices for um, for specific endpoints, for specific disease states and conditions, and uh, all of those things are are possible. But it's got to be 
Um, it's got to be proven out. And it's, it also takes a bit of a mindset shift among the uh, healthcare community in recognizing the value of some of this longitudinal data that um, it may not be quite as accurate as a medical device used in a hospital, but that longitudinal perspective provides additional value that at point in time measurement that someone gets in a hospital or healthcare facility doesn't get. And so there's this balance of, of high acuity, but uh, only gathering that data periodically versus the longitudinal data that is, um, that is higher frequency, but perhaps lower acuity. So there's that, that balance there that, that is playing out now, but it, we're, again, at the very early stages of it. Yeah, and I think that idea of sort of bringing the medical community along uh, goes a long way here. I think one of the big things that will be very critical to, uh, to sort of driving adoption here and driving long-term success is really the human element. So how do you how do you make sure that doctors and nurses and everybody else who's providing care to uh, to individuals from from sort of that very uh, deep level to some of the things we talked about earlier, maybe a, a trainer or a nutritionist or something like that? How do you make sure that they're really enabled to to create success for their clients, for their patients, for the people that they work with? What are the tools that you can uh, provide to them to to help them deliver better care, deliver better service, and scale themselves as well. So you know, deliver it in a digital way too. So not just face to face in person, but um, how do you help them just be more successful generally? So I think that's a really um, interesting piece of it. And then I guess the other thing that is just going to be really, really interesting and exciting to see is I always think of that. You've probably seen this video or the GIF of you know, here's what a desk looked like in 1985, and it's now everything that used to sit on that mm -hmm. desk is now in a phone and it's the camera and the flashlight and the compass and yep. all these different things. And I think you can almost like, you can almost do the same sort of thing. You know, maybe it's at, uh, take all of the different medical devices that, that exist out there today that mm -hmm. uh, doctors are using, nutritionists are using, um, people are using for, uh, for maintaining their diabetes, um, all of those kind of things. How much of those get sort of brought down into the, the form factor of, you know, fitting onto your, onto your wrist, into your pocket, into your ears. Um, I think that's going to be exciting to, to sort of follow uh, and, and see where that, see where that develops. And I guess we're, we're here on the call with uh, somebody who's at the forefront of that and Ryan. So that's, uh, that's always kind of cool. But uh, no, I think those are, those would be the two things that I would, I would sort of throw into, into the mix. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I think that's so well said about this idea of the you know, everything sort of eventually gets consolidated and, and, you know, from a technology standpoint. And obviously we saw that all happen with the consumer side into the iPhone. And now I do think you're right. I think we're going to kind of see a consolidation of a lot of these different medical uh, grade devices get, uh, you know, obviously there's still going to be a role for them, but I think that there's a huge opportunity for these you know, consumer wearable devices that have a semblance of, you know, medical grade capabilities. And to your point, you know, what I love about this podcast is that I've been able to connect with somebody like Ryan, who the first time that we spoke, um, you know, they were basically just at the forefront of, of embedding a, uh, a PPG sensor into a receiver in the canal hearing aid, you know, the smallest type of wearable out there, more or less. Um, so, you know, that was a couple of years ago. So I'm just going to be really excited to see how this does advance because 
there is a lot of movement in this space, whether it be on the wearable side or with all of these new tech companies that are very health oriented. Like I said, Peloton, Lululemon buying Mirror. I think that's super fascinating that we're going to see like this evolution of the at-home workout. And how does this all kind of come back into, uh, you know, an ecosystem? Like, are they independent ecosystems? Do they funnel into, um, you know, some of these like similar to iOS and Android? Like, are there going to be a few different repositories that sort of are the hubs for um, these ecosystems, whether it be apps and now health apps and all of the associated hardware that goes, uh, goes with it. So I thought this was a great conversation. Really appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, we'll have to do a follow-up at some point down the line, you know, as this all continues to progress, but thanks for everybody who tuned in this week and we will chat with you next time. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in and I'll chat with you next time.